Welcome to Ethics in the Naval Warrior. I'm your host, Michael Sears. My guest today is the director of the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership at the Naval Academy. Welcome, Dr. Joe Thomas. Thanks. Thanks for having me, uh, Michael. Uh, it's a real pleasure. Uh, I look forward to the conversation. Joe, this will be a great conversation today. And we're talking about the plague. Let's start off. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the nation's leading epidemiological voice, repeatedly says, you don't make the timeline. The virus makes the timeline. What does that mean? Well, I think this is particularly important advice uh, for Americans at this point in time. Just one word on the messenger himself. I don't think there's a more important voice in this moment than Anthony Fauci. If you consider that he served in American public health uh, for over 50 years, he's advised every president from Ronald Reagan to the current president uh, from his various positions at the National Institute of Health uh, and been recognized countless times to include the the National Medal of Science, uh, the Lasker Public Service Award, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the Gairdner Global Health Award, and many, many others. His voice is important, and most importantly, he knows how to tailor it to the audience. And in this case, because his expertise lies and his role lies in American public health, he's tailoring his message to the American people. And and as you know, American culture, such that it is, is is somewhat unique. And of the various uh, cultural dimensions, the American people probably require a certain messenger and message. Now, U.S. culture scores very, very high on uncertainty avoidance, kind of the first index that I'll mention. That is to say that Americans are uncomfortable with ambiguity and risk. We have very little tolerance for the unknown. So with Fauci saying that the timeline isn't ours to control, but rather the virus is to control, uh, is extremely meaningful, particularly to Americans. The, another uh, cultural dimension might be this idea of, uh, of co- cooperativeness uh, versus competitiveness. Now, cultures differ to one degree or another in to which they emphasize collaboration or, or cooperational behavior versus achieving results, uh, which is another way of saying competitive culture. Now, the U.S. scores extremely high in competitiveness. So if you listen carefully to... I think Dr. Fauci's message across the board, the things that seem to resonate, the things that he instinctively knows about tailoring a message is rooted in Americans' need to compare themselves to other countries. Now, unfortunately, we're not stacking up or comparing very favorably to many other countries and how they've handled it. That's also partly rooted in a third and final uh, cultural dimension that I'll mention, which is uh, being versus doing. Being cultures value relationships and quality of life, first and foremost, while doing cultures value results. And the U.S., without question, is probably the highest scoring doing culture out of all cultures on the planet. Doing cultures don't deal well with quarantines. In fact, when we are stuck, so to speak, in a quarantine, as we are right now, we often refer to this as dead time or killing time. In other words, we're just wasting time by just being in the moment and sitting still rather than being out there doing something. So when Fauci says that it's the virus that controls the timeline, it's perfectly tailored to the audience, in this case, the American people. Joe, you make a great point between doing cultures and being cultures. But, you know, in the U.S., we clearly have this can-do attitude and being or 
patience seems weak, is it? Uh, patience is anything but weak. I, I think it's in many ways just the opposite of weakness. There's, there's a lot of ways to define patience. Uh, but for me personally, it's the ability to endure difficult circumstances, especially when faced with long-term difficulties. Uh, when we embrace this fully, it becomes part of a, a quality of character that's oftentimes referred to as being steadfast. Now, there's, there's ancient roots in this approach. In fact, the cardinal virtues that go way back to the wisdom of Solomon, the book of Solomon, are prudence which is the, the so-called charioteer of the virtues. It controls all the others. There's justice, which regulates how we deal with others. Temperance, which uh, deals with how we regulate ourselves and our appetites, so our conscience, self-control, and humility. And then the fourth and most important to the idea of patience is the cardinal virtue of fortitude, which is usually interpreted as brave endurance. That is to say, patience and perseverance. It's the opposite of the, of the deadly sin of wrath, which is anger, rage, hatred, and quickness of temper. So uh, patience is the opposite of all these things. And at least in terms of leadership, which is, which is our focus at the, at the Stockdale Center, of course, uh, it has an absolute impact on how we make decisions. All right. You bring up the ancients. They've had plagues before. What can we learn from them? Oh, there's there's a rich history of how humanity has dealt with pandemics in the past, and I'll maybe I can give you a, a few examples. Uh, so the plague of Athens. This is uh, one of the first recorded pandemics that we have. Uh, it occurs in, in 430 BC, but there's a rebound effect. Uh, something that sounds pretty familiar today, right? Uh, again in 429 and later in 426, uh, and it just so happened to occur during the second year of the Peloponnesian War probably killed between 75,000 and 100,000 Athenians, which uh, in raw terms is about a quarter of the populations uh, of Athens. It, it killed the leader of Athens, Pericles, uh, died from the plague. Thucydides, this, the historian that gives us the history of the Peloponnesian War, contracted the disease but uh, survived. And he, he writes pretty extensively about how he believed it came from Ethiopia through Egypt and Libya. And it resulted ultimately in the breakdown of social order. Uh, so laws uh, were, uh, were essentially thrown out as a result of it because people believed that their, their clock was ticking. They, they saw their mortality and it caused significant social upheaval. They, they disregarded uh, religious practices. They, they disregarded the law. And it took a long time in the mind of many historians of the period for Athens to return to its pre-plague state societally, as well as economically, politically, as a result of the plague. If you fast forward again, uh, another one of the great plagues of the ancient world occurred in the 6th century AD. It's typically referred to as the Plague of Justinian. And uh, it had rebounds or reoccurrences through uh, about the year 750 or so. And it, like, uh, like its preceding plagues, changes the political structure of much of the, at the time, the known world, as it's called. It, uh, it spells the end, or at least the beginning of the end, of the Byzantine Empire, otherwise uh, known as the Eastern Roman Empire. Uh, it probably resulted between 25 and 100 million deaths in the Mediterranean basin, uh, that being North Africa and Southern Europe alone. 
About 5,000 people per day died during the peak in Constantinople alone, killing about uh, 40% of the city's inhabitants. But it, uh, unfortunately for the, for the Byzantines, uh, it occurs almost simultaneously with some, some other kind of natural phenomena to include a, a great famine triggered by perhaps volcanic activity in, in the 530s, uh, by a massive earthquake in the eastern Mediterranean around Beirut. And all these kind of natural things combined with pandemic changes the course of society and history, which, of course, would lead us to the, the third uh, example that we could, we could throw out here, and that's the, the so-called Black Death or, or the plague or the pestilence. Now, it is very likely the most fatal recorded pandemic of all time, killing somewhere between 75 and 200 million people in Eurasia and North Africa between roughly uh, 1347 and, and 1351. It ultimately results in the death of between somewhere between 30 and 60% of Europe, Europe's population. Now, the, the consequences, the negative consequences, just beyond the massive numbers of deaths, um, there was actually a, uh, a climatological change that results because of the massive numbers of death uh, there, and, and most of them involved in farming, reforestation uh, occurs on the continent of Europe uh, that may have, it's believed by many, to have led to the Little Ice Age, which is a phenomenon of, of extreme temperature drop in the 16th uh, to kind of mid-18th century. Uh, societally, uh, there was kind of a, a renewed fanaticism, kind of a religious fanaticism that swept across Europe and beyond. Um, outsiders during that period were widely persecuted. The Romani, uh, sometimes referred to as the Gypsies, uh, were massacred. Jews were massacred in large numbers in Strasbourg, Mainz, Cologne. Um, so there was terrible, terrible consequences of the Black Death that went beyond uh, the, the, the effect of the plague, direct effect of the plague. There were second order effects that occur as a result of it. But there were also, it, it could be said, some positives that came from all this. Land values declined. Uh, common laborers gained more power, political power. Feudalism as a system was destabilized. So Europe essentially gets restructured. Uh, th the point to all three of these examples, Michael, is that we don't know what the out outcome of, of our current plague, so to speak, COVID-19, is going to be. Uh, we do know that we have to kind of focus on the long-term uh, objective rather than just the short-term issues here. And, and this is kind of where patience comes into all this. So if we have to rely on the virus's timeline, how can we become more patient? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and, it, and it's slightly different for everyone. Everyone arrives at this 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 virtue, this quality of character uh, in different ways. And in fact, we could define virtue in different ways. Uh, one of the classical ways to define virtue is a habitual and firm disposition to do good. I like that one. I think that's a great one. Uh, but how we arrive at that firm disposition to do good, regardless of how we get there, it usually begins with examining our thinking. So all of us, when we think about how we react to the current crisis. We have to think about the biases we bring to it. A, a cognitive bias, uh, just for definition purposes, is when you create your own subjective, constructed reality, rather than base your beliefs or behaviors on objective input, right? And 
back to your original question, Anthony Fauci is trying to deliver to us objective data about COVID-19. The challenge is we instinctively, inherently, innately uh, view those facts through uh, various lenses. And, and those, are, those lenses are shaped in large part by biases. If there's one bias that influences and impacts the national conversation, political conversation in 2020, and has for a number of years, it's this idea of confirmation bias. I think it's the, it's the ailment that affects the, uh, the national discourse uh, right now, because the outcome of confirmation bias is probably the most well-known of biases regarding groups and organizations, and it's groupthink. And groupthink is the psychological phenomenon that occurs when groups default to conformity. So ultimately, and I think somewhat pessimistically, I view many people to see the current pandemic through this lens, through the lens of groupthink. Uh, they, they've kind of fall along one of two or maybe three camps of thinking, and that is open everything up right now because that my my group and my my bias kind of drives me in this direction or in the extreme other end which is we can't do anything everything has to be locked down i think uh, i think the the wisest among us will entertain both notions simultaneously and use data objective data upon which to make decisions as to where we go next joe as always you give us quite a lot to think about I appreciate the talk. We'll do this again. All my pleasure, Michael. Thanks very much. You've been listening to Ethics in the Naval Warrior, produced by the Boeing Leadership Innovation Lab at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. You can find more of our podcasts by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu.